I didn't have time this morning when we were looking at the text um, to get to push you for a, an overly scholarly moment, but in the text of Acts, you, you may, some of you may have noticed, or depending on what translation you had, some of you may have noticed that um, there is no verse 37 in Acts chapter 8 if you have the NIV or the New American Standard. If you have the King James uh, Version, then you have verse 37. And um, sometimes that, that really throws people for a loop when you, um, when you uh, see something missing or something that appears to be added. And, and there are lots of voices out there that are making a big deal out of such things as this. But... Um, in the uh, Acts chapter 8, uh, it says as they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, look, here is water, why shouldn't I be baptized? And then, like I said, if you have a modern translation, down below you probably have a notation that says, um, Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. The eunuch answered, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And that uh, isn't included in the NIV or the New American Standard or other uh, uh, early trans or late um, modern translations. Uh, let me just uh, point out to you that um, it is highly improbable that Philip and the eunuch had that discussion that is in the margin of your King James or in the margin of your NIV or your New American Standard. Um, when you when you do the the background uh, research on the original. Uh, uh, text, the original language, you'll find that uh, almost no early manuscripts include that verse at all. Um, you, you know, if, you, if you're a book reader, if, you, if you're an avid reader and you're inclined to be a person who writes notes in the margin of a book when you're reading or underline things and you, um, that's likely what happened in, the, in this case. Um, that someone took an early, some early, early preacher took one of the manuscripts and put out in the margin at, he was, what he was going to preach that, um, you know, in order to be saved, you had to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ with all of your heart. And he noted that in that. And then as these things were copied over the years, it suddenly got slipped in as if it was part of the scriptures. Uh, but the, the proper research has been done by such translations as NIV and New American Standard Bibles, which you can totally rely upon, particularly the New American Standard. And they've done their research, and they've taken um, their uh, decisions on uh, the, the correct uh, wording of the Scriptures based on um, all of the earliest manuscripts combined. We take it from the Byzantine text and from the Alexandrian text and from the Western text and the combination of different geographical fragments that were put together and overlapped presents us with a very accurate presentation uh, through um, archaeological findings and scholarly findings to come up with a scripture uh, presentation in the translations like the NIV and New American Standard that you can absolutely I have great confidence in. And the, the naysayers who wander around and still wander around a little bit saying that anything other than King James Version is demonic are, are just really lacking in uh, a, an appreciation of textual criticism and an understanding of the archaeological realities of, of textual uh, science. So I just wanted to throw that in, in there because um, uh, it may have thrown you for a loop. Uh, I didn't mention it. Uh, as you can see, it would have kind of messed up the flow of the sermon this morning, but I thought I might bring it to your attention tonight. 
Well, we've had an interesting, uh, I've had some interesting emails about some ideas of what to, to bring um, on these Sunday nights, and, and just thought I'd, I'd catch up on a couple of things that were um, brought to my attention that uh, are of interest to people in our congregation, uh, which we may or may not look at uh, over the next couple of weeks. One was, how should Christians view and treat Israel? Um, there's a controversial, ta- uh, controversial evening opportunity for me, and... Um, where do infants and the simple fit into salvation? Another great opportunity for some controversy for myself. This is why I may choose not to, to dive into some of these things. Uh, trusting God for provision versus personal responsibility. Uh, the whole idea of faith versus presumption. Where is the line drawn? Uh, that's a great topic and one that we may look at. And then another one that I received, which I'm going to deal with tonight um, as related to sanctification as it relates to the keeping power of God. And I thought that was an excellent follow-up question to um, our security in Christ, ha- being confident of our faith, uh, being confident that we are kept eternally by uh, the keeping power of God. And an outstanding follow-up is precisely this one, a whole idea of holiness and sanctification. Because many of us who've been in the Christian context for any amount of time at all have certainly heard the argument put forth, well, if we are saved for good, then it really doesn't matter how we live. And um, that's absolutely not true. So tonight, um, I want to take a look at that because I really think that this is one of the central problems of Christianity today. Um, I've been thinking a lot about these things and been doing a lot of uh, personal study and research uh, for other, other matters, but as it relates to Christians uh, in their growth and lifestyle and discipleship, and you've seen uh, some of the fruit of that and how we've been trying to um, refocus the ministry here uh, with, with an emphasis on uh, personal growth uh, spiritual growth, discipleship, and that comes out of a of great concern about where the Christian uh, Christianity is heading. Um, I, I would say, as a whole, Christianity, as a whole, is in a state of confusion. And um, I, I'm I'm looking at it from the perspective of the fact that, for the most part, most of us have turned our back on legalism which many of us grew up with. And we've turned our back on legalism, but we're not sure we've landed on an acceptable alternative. And, and so, you know, I, I, again, I don't want to have a long discussion on legalism because it would take so much time, but, but to, to make sure you understand what that is, it's, um, it's relying on certain behavior to please God. And in particular, if you want to really define legalism, it's relying on certain good behavior to be saved. That's what legalism really means. But there's a form of legalism that crept into many of our lives, and many of us are still functioning in, in, to some degree in the whole area of legalism, and it is the idea that by our own restraint, by our own uh, uh, boundaries that we establish in our lives, we can somehow please God. And, um, and so many of us realize that, no, that's not really the way God wants us to live, but we also don't want to, uh, you know, cast off all restraint and... And, and anything goes. We realize that can't possibly be right. And um, so I, I, I'm not certain that we're really convinced we've landed on a real biblical alternative. And that, I think, is where we, we have some huge work to do, some significant and immense work to do yet 
in our Christianity in particular because what we are seeing as a result of, I think, our confusion is that younger believers are struggling with their Christian identity like never before. Um, Many younger believers are not sure why Christianity matters. And I'm leading somewhere with this as an introduction. They don't know why we believe what we believe. And they also don't know how it matters. They haven't seen, and, and, and the reason they don't know how it matters is because many younger believers have not seen a clear enough difference in the lives of the mentors, those older around them. And we, we need to think seriously about this. Um, older Christians, uh, seasoned Christians, the Christians in general, are not presenting a compelling enough countercultural alternative. And it is confusing to our younger believers. And so uh, we're really struggling to make a convincing case for Christianity among other alternative lifestyles. If, you're, if, if you've been talking to younger kids, 16, 17-year-olds who've grown up in the church, they are quite confused about the matters of, of sin and morality and, and things that many of us have, are taking for granted. And they're not really making the connections between lifestyle and Scripture. And I would say because they're not seeing the Scriptures... Uh, robustly lived out in believers. Christianity make, we need to understand that Christianity makes its contribution to society only insofar as we demonstrate radical life transformation. We have no message to the culture, to our society, unless we are radically different. I hope we're understanding this. Why... Why we're not making a compelling case if we are no different than the people around us, if we are not experiencing victory over sin, if we ourselves don't know why Christianity matters or how Christianity matters, we're making no compelling case for evangelism, for the gospel. And unless you or I are changing, we're out of the game. We're, we're not even in the conversation. Unless you know why changed behavior matters, you have no message. I have no message to the thief around us or the liar around us or the violent or the vulgar or the sexually immoral or the family abusers. And unless I'm changing and you're changing, we can't make a case for Christianity to sinners. We really can't. And so our lack of holiness is perhaps one of the greatest obstructions to evangelism today. And that's why we are putting a full court press at Calvary on discipleship matters here within because it has to start here. The biggest impact will be made if our lives become white hot for Christ. And so holiness, the subject of holiness, the doctrine of holiness is absolutely a key starting point 
for making a difference in the culture. A large part of confusion is related to our fuzziness about holiness, its meaning, its purpose, its place in the salvation reality, the practical mechanism in our lives, how to be holy. I think we understand much about that. Is it to be bland and boring and legalistic, which sucks the air out of life? No. So holiness has really fallen on hard times. Formerly it morphed into legalism, now it has nowhere to land because we know we can't go to legalism. So the result is we have enough Christianity to make us miserable, but not enough to make an impact on the, on the world around us. And that's a horrible place to be in. And that, frankly, is the place where a lot of people who call themselves Christians are. Well, we want to rectify that. So let's... Um, Get out your water-cooled pens, and let's do some work tonight, because I'm going to work uh, you uh, through in a, on some, some heavy-duty stuff. You know, some have said, of course, in the whole context of Christianity, let's get rid of the doctrine of eternal security or the keeping power of God. I can remember my mother saying to me, although she was very, very strongly convinced and convicted of eternal security, she said, I have to give it to our brothers and sisters who don't believe in it. They often live a more holy life than we do because they're scared to death they'll lose their salvation. Well, you know, we don't buy into pragmatic ideas to try and corral ourselves. We got to have biblical realities. So I'm not going to present you with a pragmatic case tonight. I'm going to try to present you with a biblical case. Uh, still holding on to the keeping power of God when you are brought into salvation. As we learned last week, the critical text from John 6, 37 to 40, that Jesus will absolutely keep all that the Father gives him. All right? That's a conviction, a convinced of the Scripture. So that's our landing pad. That's, that's where we grow from. But... We ask the question then, what does it mean, this matter of holiness? I think we've learned, or we learned, that the keeping power of God is for those who have received the nature of God. You will be kept by Christ insofar as you have received the nature of God as a result of salvation. And uh, I've loaded it up with some text for you. I'm not, we're not going to look at all of them, but... But John 3, 3 and 6 talk about being born again, a, a new nature, born of the Spirit of God, uh, receiving the nature of God. Romans 8, 9 talks about the Spirit of Christ, receiving the Spirit of Christ. 1 Corinthians 1, 30, we're going to look at that in a few moments, but that talks about us receiving, because we have received Christ, His holiness. That's some significant there's some significant implications to that in first peter 1 16 the command is be holy it's not like hey this is optional it's not optional we are commanded to be holy why because he is holy and so you can you can see the tie-in that the keeping power of god uh, the uh, confidence we have in our salvation is, and, the, and the keeping power of God is related to the fact that we are saved. And if we are saved, we have received the nature of God or we aren't saved. And that sets up for us a, a whole different reality in our lives. 
Now, I would um, point out that the word sanctification, and we're going to interchangeably use sanctification and holiness. The word sanctification is um, from two Latin words, sanctus and ficari, ficare, which means simply to make holy. And what does that mean? Well, holy is, if you, if you try to define holy, it's something that's dedicated to God or set apart for God's purposes or somehow associated with divine power. Uh, moving someone to holiness is, is making them belong or, com- or com- com- belonging completely to and useful to God. Holy means not normal. It, it means the moral excellence of God. And it leaves no area of our lives untouched. This is a sweeping reality of our lives. I think many of us will agree that many Christians want the easy work and blessings of having Jesus, but not the life struggle of being like Jesus. I'm increasingly hearing whole church value systems evangelical church value systems that are being based on the love and peace of Christ. Stopping there. Ignoring the truth of Christ. Because the love and peace of Christ is the easy work. It's the truth of Christ that's the hard work. And uh, it's subtle, but listen for it. Listen for those churches that are out there that are amping up. Well, you know what? We want our whole atmosphere to hear to to be the loving nature of Christ and a place of the peace of Christ. And I absolutely don't disagree with that. But it doesn't go far enough. For me, the starting point is the truth of Christ. The truth of Christ presented in love brings about the peace of Christ. They, they fit together in that context. And, and, and if you try to break that apart and do some fancy things emotionally, you're going to find yourself in, in uh, deep water. You can't become holy on your own. That's why a legalistic idea of holiness will never work. Because, it's ta- because holiness requires the complete impartation of the divine nature in all of its fullness. So, I think it would be important for us to note, um, as one of our major texts, and I'm going to invite you to turn there, Romans chapter 15, I want you to see here that holiness, Paul points out, was the goal of his mission journey. And you say, wait a second, I thought it was salvation. Well, yeah. (laughs) Uh, We're going to learn, if we haven't already learned, that sanctification is part of salvation you have three realities you have salvation you have sanctification you have glorification that's a salvation package deal but in this case i want you to notice in romans chapter 15 i want you to look at verses 15 and 16 with me i have written you paul says quite boldly on some points as if to remind you of them again because of the grace God gave me. Now look at, hang on every word here, to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles 
with the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God, and here's why, so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. See this? I became a minister of Christ, I'm a minister of Christ to the Gentiles so that they might become sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Paul, uh, Paul clearly presents here that his mission journey goal was the holiness of people. Now, I want you to see a tie-in here with how, the ho how holiness comes about. Let's keep reading. Verse 70, 17, Therefore, I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading Gentiles, what? To obey God. Now, again, this is the, like, like last Sunday night. We could quit right now because it's very simply laid out here. Just like last week when we looked at John 6, 37, and Jesus said, whoever the Father gives to me, I will absolutely keep. We could close the book and say, there it is. The keeping power of God. Our salvation is secure. Well, tonight we could almost close the book. I mean, we could close the book right now and simply say that, that when we're talking about holiness, it is the goal of the mission and it is accomplished by obedience to God. It's that simple, and it's that regularly resisted. So there we have it, the connection. Holiness is not so much about the power, or about power, as it is about possession. At salvation, the holiness of Jesus has become God's gift to you. Rather than stare at me, turn over one page in your Bibles. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30. You'll see it with your own eyes. It is because of him, the Father, that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is. Now look what Christ is to us. Our righteousness our holiness, and our redemption. At salvation, Christ in us is our holiness. All right, so it's not so much about the power of God in terms of us acquiring holiness as it is the simple reality that we possess holiness because Christ is in us. So no one can say, well, I can't be holy. I haven't been able to pick that up. I haven't, haven't really packaged that yet in my life. Then you are either not saved or you don't understand the truth or you have been resisting the truth in your life because you have, each one of us here tonight who know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, if we're in Christ, then the holiness of Christ the nature of Christ himself, the very holy God, is in us. Okay. So, um, we have acquired the, the nature of the divine. It's in you to be holy. In other words, it's really foreign 
for a believer not to be holy. And um, it, it, like I said, it's not, given to, it's, it's not give me the power, it's empower me to obey Christ. The Christ who's in me, that he might be created in me. It's about obedience. So the bottom line for our holiness quest is whether you will or you won't obey Jesus. The highway to holiness for you is simply that. And that's where Christians, one by one, stunt holiness taking shape and form in their lives. I won't do this. I won't do that. I heard that this morning, but I'm not applying it to my life. It's too hard. It's too uncomfortable. It's too inconvenient. It's going to set me up for all kinds of hassles. Whatever the excuse, the bottom line is, our holiness is held up or moved forward to the degree we are willing to obey Jesus Christ. So what difference does it make in our life? I mean, what's the incentive? I realize that that's the goal. I realize that uh, we have God's word on it. I realize we even have a command. Be holy, for I am holy. But what difference does it make? Well, the first difference it makes is we become like Christ to the degree that we cooperate with sanctification in our lives. To the degree that we cooperate with the, the move to holiness, the move to being set apart for God's purposes. John 17, 17, critical verse. Jesus establishes here how sanctification happens. John 17, 17, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. That's why it, to me, is so crucial that a, a top core value of, of a... Um, of a vision of a church is about truth. Core value. Because you will not change if truth is not core value. If Christ's truth is not a core value of your life, a core value of your ministry, if it's love and peace, that's all nice and warm and fuzzy, and, and it, it makes for a, a, an interesting atmosphere, but if truth is not core value, then holiness is going to be absent. So you see that as we obey the word of God, the very qualities of Jesus already in us take hold of us. It's no accident then when Christ, that when Christ was giving the Great Commission that he added in the mechanism for holiness. He said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then what did he say? And teaching them to do what? To obey Whatsoever things I've commanded you. Surprise, surprise. Jesus had the same goal as the Apostle Paul. The reason that he's bringing the mission to people, bringing us into his, into his church, is that he might grow us in holiness to the degree that we're willing to obey his truth. The whole idea here is sanctification happens in your life as you know and apply the word of God. That's recovering the image of God in, a fallen, in fallen man, the marred image of Christ. 
is now being remade in our lives to the degree that we obey the things of Christ that we learn in the scriptures. Holiness, therefore, brings you to the fullest and most accurate expression of the real you. When, you're, when we're trying to answer the question, what, what's the point? What's the difference? Do we understand this? That sin has marred the image of Christ in my life and your life. Salvation has made it possible for the image of Christ to be brought back to its fullest state. And when we're talking about people actual, actually realizing the ultimate state of how God intended them to be, the end journey of that is holiness. Holiness our commitment to obeying the truth of Jesus Christ moves you in a journey to become ultimately what Christ absolutely made you to be. So if you want to know who you're really supposed to be, get holy. Cooperate with what Christ wants you to be. Cooperate with his word. Every step you take of obedience moves you closer to a fuller impression of the image of Christ in your life. And you become who you're really supposed to be. That's, uh, that's an amazing offer that the Lord has given to us. And we need to, we need to whet the appetite of our culture for that. They're all out there wandering in an identity crisis, trying to find themselves. That's maybe not so much of a term now, but I, I remember when I was in university, everybody was trying to find themselves. Oh, I'm trying to find myself. So everybody took psychology, hoping they could find themselves. You're not going to find yourself in a psychology book. You're going to find yourself when you obey the Word of God. That's when you'll find yourself. And at the end of that journey, when Christ takes you to be with Him, Hopefully, you're far, far down the journey. So, first, what difference does it make? The second, what difference does it make is this, victory over evil. There's the spirit of this age and the spirit of Christ. Or literally, in Romans 1.4, the spirit of holiness. Now, you are either being conformed to the spirit of this age or you are being transformed into the image of Christ, the spirit of Christ, the spirit of holiness. You are either one or the other. You know, um, I've been, uh, as I said, doing some reading, and uh, one of the authors I was reading was making the point that uh, this generation that we are living in is, one, one, redefining sin, which we all know, they're calling sin mistakes, a certain mayor next door to us is claiming his sin is a disease. So it isn't really his fault. And, um, and you'll see authors that are, are, are writing about uh, people are now, particularly younger people, are replacing guilt with shame. And there's an interesting uh, switch that goes on here because by replacing guilt with shame transparency can replace holiness in other words and I've shared this with you uh, before if you've listened uh, a couple of months ago um, in today's economy it isn't so much that you're a sinner 
It's whether or not you try to hide your sins. Sinning's okay. Sinning's in vogue. In fact, sinning makes you one of us. Sinning in the culture is like, yeah, you're just like me. We all make mistakes. We're all human. We all sin and all that. What is really the ultimate sin of our culture is hiding your sin. Hypocrisy is the worst thing. You know, um, if, you're, if you're watching any, any people doing public relations makeover now, it's all about coming clean. It's not about changing your lifestyle so much as making sure that everybody knows you're honest about it. Okay, I'm weak. I make mistakes. I have a disease. And now everybody thinks you're a noble person. And that's the whole idea of, of, of shame is the hiding of sin. And as long as we're transparent and authentic with, with each other, it's all fine. Here's the problem with that. Transparency doesn't remove guilt. You can be as transparent as you want. You can go out and murder someone tonight and then come clean on Facebook tomorrow morning. I murdered somebody. I'm human. I'm like everybody else. I make mistakes. See how far that gets you. It's working for sexual immorality, but it's not yet working for murder. You still have the problem of guilt. Transparency can't fix guilt. Holiness is not about simply saying, oops, I made another mistake. Holiness is actually coming clean and admitting that sin is sin and taking responsibility for it and recognizing that only Christ can remove our guilt by pardoning us through his salvation through Christ. And then our, in return, our thanksgiving to God, our gratitude to Christ for his salvation motivates us no longer to say transparency is enough, but rather to, to um, seek forgiveness. We have been pardoned from the guilt of our sin to be freed from sin. Not, not just to, um, uh, to take a free card, a, a get-out-of-guilt-free card, and say, well, now I can sin with reckless abandon because I have been pardoned from sin. You know, Paul already addresses that by saying, should we go on sinning so that God's grace may more abound? He says, why, why would you think like that? We've been rescued from that so that we no longer have to live like that. We're no longer slaves to sin. We've been set free from sin's power in our lives to live holy lives before Christ. We've been granted by the grace of God, the, the power of God, to learn to say no to things that displease God and yes to things that please Him. Titus 2, 11 through 13. Okay. For those who do not embrace holiness as it champions over sin show themselves to be living as stillborns. In 1 Peter 1.23, Peter makes a very strong point here. And he makes the same point that John makes a little bit later on in the scriptures. In verse 23 of 1 Peter 1, way back near the end of your Bible, by the way, there's no shame in ever having to turn to the index. It, it's better than, it's better than uh, leafing through your Bible until we've moved on to the next point. 
<laughs> so, you know, uh, sword drills were, you know, I don't know if the new electronic generation um, can handle sword drills. I think we ought to put a 65-year-old man up against a 15-year-old and see who could win this thing. I'm putting my money on the 65-year-old. Bring out your champions, young people. Bring out your champions. All right. <laughs> the gauntlet is down. 1 Peter 1, 23. For you have been born again. Now listen. Not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. If you can't gain victory over sin, there's an insecure reality or an insecurity about your life that perhaps you have not received the perishable, the imperishable seed, I should, I should say, the imperishable seed of God's word. Um, John uh, says the very same thing in uh, 1 John uh, 3, uh, 9 and 10. Listen. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in him. He cannot go on sinning because he's been born of God. Now listen what he says. This is how we know who the children of God are. Victory over sin is our modus operandi. We have been granted because of Christ's holiness now the capacity to be freed from sin. Does this mean we don't sin? No, you know that the Bible says if anyone says they do not sin, they're lying. The truth is not in them. But holiness makes sinning less normal Christian living. Okay, the third thing as to um, what difference does it make is this. It helps us to know in advance the cause of Christ. Romans 12, 1 and 2. You know that uh, great text which says, Therefore, because of the mercies of God, present your bodies, what, as living sacrifices, holy, 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 pleasing which is what your act a reasonable act of worship don't be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world rather be transformed how by the renewing of your mind which is how sanctification takes place so that you may be able to do what louder Test, prove what God's will is, his perfect, pleasing will. You know, there are a whole lot of Christians stumbling around. I have no idea what God wants me to do. I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm lost in life. I'm not sure what to do. I'm not sure what step to take. I'm struggling with that. I'm, I'm having immense problems knowing God's will and how to live. Listen, holiness... Learning to say yes to God, which is not easy, or certainly it's a struggle. 
Learning to say yes to God, obeying his word, is the only way that you are going to present to Christ your reasonable act of worship and in turn stop being conformed to the world, stop being pressed into the spirit of the age which says no to God all the time, but rather being transformed so that the young people around you who are looking at you as a mentor are actually seeing a distinct difference between you and everybody else in the world. We should not have the same incident of sin in our lives as everybody around us does. We shouldn't have the same um, um, insecurities, the same struggles, the same marriage conflicts, the same divorce rates, the same trouble at work, the same... Um, um, moral issues it makes no sense at all and the only explanation is we're not saying yes to God's word so you are either having immense problems knowing God's will and how to live or you are being sanctified one or the other if you're being sanctified you're not having trouble here Oswald Chambers, in his excellent work, asks this question. Am I willing for God to make holiness as real to me as it is in his word? Every time you come to the word of God, doing your devotions, come to a sermon, come to a teaching session, come to a small group, that's your question. Well, what's my approach to this going to be? Am I Willing for God to make holiness as real to me as it is in his word. Because if you are, you will be, you will actually be coming sanctified. I don't even know if the grammar worked there, but. So holiness gives you the confidence to know God's will and take up Christ's cause. Well, um, what we see happening around us are Christians surviving on personal values that are rough ideas of the things of God, and they're satisfied with that alone, versus biblical virtues that are precisely according to the scriptures of God. And that's what's happening. That's the muddying down and the watering down that we're seeing around us. You know, if I wish I had, I'd be a rich man, if I had a few bucks for every time a Christian told me, well, we're not supposed to judge. I'm serious. That's, it's like, do you only read three words in any text? I mean, come on. Uh, listen. For once and for all, at least with this group of people, I never, I'm looking at your faces tonight. I'm taking inventory. Not a one of you should ever say this to me. It's not for us to judge, okay? None of you. And here's why. Could you please go to Matthew chapter 7? Because that's where you got it from. But you only read a few words. I want you to know what Jesus really expects of us. Do not judge. There it is, pastor. (laughs) 
honestly, I'm going to tell you, not a one of you should say this to me again, or you too will be judged, it says. Well, I don't want to be judged, so you should not be judged. Keep reading. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. What Jesus says here is, just know this. Because if you read on, it's with the plank and the speck and all that. Jesus is saying this, that don't go around laying heavies on everybody else without first examining your own life. He goes on to say, first examine the log that's in your own eye, and then you'll be able, he says, to remove the speck from your brother or sister's eye, which means you had to be judging. Had it come up a Ruth? I'm sorry, I see a speck in your eye. I'm taking it out. All right, he says here, you hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove, which requires judgment, the speck from your brother's eye. Now, um, the Apostle Paul takes us on the same journey, so let's understand what we are called to do here, because we are, we are, as a Christian community, instead of embracing holiness and the precision of God's word, we are adopting in our lives, as I said, just simply general, personal values, as opposed to the accurate virtues of the scriptures. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, I've written you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. And he says, not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral or, or the greedy or the swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave this world. But now I am writing you that you must not associate with anyone who calls himself a brother but is sexually immoral or greedy or idolater or a slanderer, a drunkard or a swindler. With such a man do not even eat. What business, business is it of mine, Paul says, to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? That, that's why I'm saying to you what we're talking about here is upgrading our discipleship realities around here in each other's life. We sh listen, we should be expecting, we do expect those people outside of faith in Christ to be living immoral, sinful lives. Of course they are. But inside, inside, it's not acceptable. And we call each other on it. We call each other on the matter of holiness, on the matter of growing in Christ, the matter of sanctification. Absolutely. Well, let me wrap this up. What does it look like? When, when by God's grace, the truth is made known and the power of the Holy Spirit causes it to be welcomed into the heart and applied to the life, sanctification is happening, which is the goal of God's mission for you and eternal life results. Our holiness pays tribute to and is a reflection of God's holiness which he guards with holy fervor. I've given you a whole raft of verses there, which I would encourage you to read. The Bible says, you, Christian, though, were created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And I'll run down this final list very quickly. I'm taking this right out of Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 4 and into 5. Sanctification is happening in our life. Here's the... So what? The drive it home, the practical reality. 
If you want to read this from the scriptures, you can start reading Ephesians 4.24 and then keep reading. Sanctification is happening in your life when you no longer lie and you tell the truth. You start being truthful with everybody instead of lying your way out of things. Sanctification is happening in your life. Sanctification is happening in your life when instead of sinfully uh, being angry, you start resisting all forms of anger that take on a sinful shape in your life and fix relationships before the day ends. Sanctification is now happening in your life. Sanctification is happening in your life when you stop cheating on your taxes and stealing time from your employer and start working diligently and having enough left over to give to people who need it. That's when sanctification is happening. Sanctification is happening when your potty mouth changes to a well of grace. You take charge of your mouth and negative language and put-downs and rather you have a speech pattern that's filled with grace and building words. And this is not generated by your own strength. You each, each me, you, all of us who call ourselves believers have within us the capacity to do this at full blast. Sanctification is happening in your life when your aggressive behavior turns into care, kindness, and forgiveness. You curtail rage and brawling and slandering and bashing and holding grudges and attacking those who have hurt you. There are backstories to everybody's life. So don't take it so personally when someone hurts you. They've been probably pretty nastily hurt themselves. Cut each other some slack. When you return care and patience and kindness and forgiveness, sanctification is happening in your life. Christ is being made. Sanctification is happening in your life when cheap sexuality turns into a sacred trust. When you change your mind about sexuality, sex is sacred. God made it. And he made it the way he wants it. And Christians, above all, should not be practicing the same kind of immoral behavior that the unbelieving community is. Sexuality is the way that God's image is put on full display. A man and a woman. It's the way that his procreation command is fulfilled. It's a gift given within marriage. These are all things that God's word teaches us. And we obey or we disobey. If we disobey, we're not growing in holiness. If we obey, we are. Sanctification is happening in your home when the nagging wife stops wrangling her husband and starts respecting him, then sanctification is happening. 
Sanctification is happening in the home when an uncaring husband stops ignoring the needs of his wife and starts loving her sacrificially like Christ loves the church. Well, I could go on. Because the text talks about children. It talks about slaves and masters. But let me call it a night by saying this to you. Holiness is meant to adorn the gospel we have received so that people will rush to say, whatever it is you have, I want it. Do you understand why I said at the outset that the lack of holiness is an obstacle to evangelism? If our lives are no different than the people who are lost, then why in the world would we think that anyone would come and ask us to tell us about our story? We have no story. We have no message. We have no answer to our culture. We have nothing compelling to encourage them to take on the cause of Christ. What we want them to to realize is if, if you knew the gift of God that that I have received and the change that it's making in my life that you must be seeing, you would ask me what it is and I would tell you and you would want it. Without sanctification, we are saying we want what Jesus has, but not what Jesus is. So I'm, I'm uh, very exercised by this in my own life and in the, for the lives of all of us. And, and I hope that everybody wasn't here. I'm going to push that they listen to this because I think this is so critical for our whole congregation. Our holiness is critical not only to our own complete life makeover, which is really important, but the only reason in Canada why our lost acquaintances would even consider Christianity. That's how important it is. So, it's a command. Be holy, Jesus says, as I am holy. Because at salvation, we received the holiness of Christ. And now the call is, to live it out through obedience to the truth of God's word. It's hard. It's hard work. It's painful. It hurts. It causes us to say no to things that sometimes we want. But that's the only way holiness is going to take hold of your life. The only way that Christ-likeness is going to take hold of your life. And the only way that the people you work with and live with and the little eyes, whether it's parents or grandparents, the little eyes that are watching you will see a distinction. Will see authentic Christianity. Our Father, you have not called us to something you haven't equipped us with or that you have not anticipated 
strengthening, strengthening us to cooperate with. You've given us your truth. Sanctify you. The command was, uh, the, the, the prayer of Christ was sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. So, Lord, help us to stop looking everywhere, reading books and all kinds of things, although there's nothing wrong with reading books. But if we want to understand sanctification, if we want to see transformation in our lives, it, hap- it will happen as we apply the scriptures to our day-to-day living. And I pray, Lord God, that in our devotions in our teaching times, in our interaction one with the other, that we will uh, approach those times with a determination to say yes to your word so that we can grow to be like Christ in true holiness. For without holiness, no one will see God. Pretty important stuff, Lord. So thank you for teaching us tonight. I pray that we will not squander what we've learned, but by the power and presence of the Holy Spirit at work in our lives, we will move forward from here with a new resolve to live holy lives, to impact our culture by being distinctly different, transformed by the renewing of our minds, I pray in Jesus' name, amen.